Hello, everybody. Uh, it's good to be back and, and coming back with you with our second video for Second Thessalonians. Um, today's video, we're going to finish our look at Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And if you watch the first video, uh, then you recall that we're talking about four distinctives that Paul goes over of a true church when he's writing this kind of introduction to this letter. Now, we began last time by noting who wrote this book. And then we looked at the first of the four distinctives of a true church. And we talked about the fact that it's a gathering of believers, those who know the truth and have trusted in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time uh, walking through the next three distinctives. So let me just pray quickly, and then we'll dive into it. Father God, thank you so much for the goodness of who you are and the greatness of your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would each learn a great deal and love you more in light of it. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's start with the second distinctive. So a true church is a gathering of believers who are ever growing in their faith. This is one of the, the second distinctive. And Paul says this in verse 3, the first part of verse 3, he says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. Now, Paul is not giving thanks out of some cold obligation here. He's not just doing this because this is what everyone does. He's saying this out of joy. And to rightly understand this, we need to notice who Paul is thanking. It's not the Thessalonians. He's not thanking them. He's thanking God. He's thanking God for them. These believers have shown great growth in love and service both to God and each other. And when God accomplishes great things, even through humans, it is definitely cause for us to give thanks. When God takes something that was dead and makes it alive, we should give thanks. And it is fitting to give thanks. When God takes someone who was, who was, who was caught up in some sin, whether it be big or small, and, and they find victory, whether it be for a lifetime or in a moment, we should give thanks. This should, should categorize who we are. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Give thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word translated, translated as, as always or obligated, if you have another translation, is the same word Paul uses in Ephesians 5, 28 while speaking of the obligation that our, our, the, the, what a husband ought to do, he ought to love his wife. And then in Romans 13, verse 8, he uses the same word to speak of the love that believers owe to one another. You, you owe each other. You ought to love one another as an obligation. And each of these examples, the word doesn't mean obligation so much as it means a heartfelt thanks or a heartfelt love. So out of a proper response to the working of God and these believers, Paul and his companions continued to give thanks to the Lord for these saved men and women. And then he says, because your faith is growing more and more. Now the verb translated growing is in the present tense, implying that the, the increase of their faith um, is an ongoing process rather than an accomplished fact, okay? So he's not saying, since you are now mature, he's saying, since you've grown from being uh, where you were to where you are now. 
Their faith had grown, and, and the, the word itself uh, indicates a, a growth beyond expectation. In other words, their faith had grown beyond what even the Apostle Paul had expected. Which brings up some questions that it might be worth just us just taking a minute or two and walking through. The first is, well, what is faith? How do we define faith? Well, the Bible does that for us. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is trusting that what God said would happen will happen. So I like to describe it like this. So if, if I ask my wife uh, for uh, a special shirt for my birthday, um, and I see that shirt at the store, well, if, if she told me that she got it for me, then for me not to go try and buy it myself would be faith. I would be trusting that she did what she said she was going to do, trusting in what I don't yet see, but I hope for, because of who my faith is founded in. So when we talk about faith in God, it's, it's confidence in what we hope for, confidence in the goodness of God, the truth of God, the character of God, the love of God, and, and the insurance of what, the things that we don't yet see, which is that God's going to work everything for our good, that God is never going to abandon us, that God is going to lead us into a kingdom that we can't even describe. Faith is what drives us along. And then where does faith come from? Well, Romans 10, 17 says faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. As we hear and learn of Christ is where our faith grows. In Romans 4, verses 18 through 21, it talks about the, uh, uh, Abraham when he was promised by God that he would have a child. And, and it talks about his faith not wavering, even though he was beyond the point of having a child in age and that his wife was beyond the point of having a child in age. He trusted that God was able to do what he promised he would do. And so he, he trusted him. That's what faith is to look like. Now, let's think about the faith that Paul is complimenting these, these believers of. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit through belief in the truth. What are they, what are they, what is their faith growing in? It's growing in the fact that God loved them, that God chose them, that God sanctified them, and that God is faithful to his word, that his word is worthy of putting their trust in. So when we see, uh, what we see here is that a true church is a gathering of believers who are ever growing in their knowledge of and trust in the word of God. Which is another way of saying it's a gathering of believers who are ever growing in faith. They're growing in it. They're learning more about God. And they're trusting more fully in the things that they knew before and in the things they're learning. This is the second uh, distinctive of a true church. The third one. A true church is a gathering of believers, first who are ever growing in their faith, second, and ever growing in their actions, third. 
Look at the second part of verse 3. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Now, not only is the faith of these believers growing greater and greater, but accordingly, their love of each other is also growing proportionately. We must always understand that when our faith grows, our love for God and each other should grow in, a, in concordance with it. Our faith and love should always be connected to each other. And there are far too many people who have a tendency of focusing on one or the other. And we need to understand that the two go together. We, we shouldn't so focus on loving our neighbor that we ignore knowing more about God and growing our faith. And we shouldn't so focus on knowing more about God and growing our faith that we ignore loving one another. We need to be balanced and understand that the two go hand in hand. True believers know that the knowledge of God leads to faith, which leads to love or actions of love to each other, especially to those who are saved. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The point that John is making there is, is clearly that if you say you love, your love is shown by what you do. And so when we say we love God, it should be shown, it should be lived out. Our faith in God and in his word should be expressed should be lived as love. The two should always go together. So, first, uh, distinctive of a true church is the gathering of believers. Second, who are ever-growing in their faith. Third, and ever-growing in their actions or in their love. And that leads us to the fourth and final one that we're going to look at. An ever-enduring life. Christians are not those who give up on life. They do not sway with the wind and, and, be, and, and are deceived into thinking that God has lost. That hope is gone. Look at verse 4. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Now, Paul says among God's churches, and he doesn't specify what churches or even in what region he's talking about, but he simply states that he, is, he has boasted to various churches with which he has contact. Now, he's boasting in their growing faith and growing love of the brotherhood. And, and, and it was so growing and so uh, such an encouragement to the Apostle Paul that, that not only did he give thanks to God for it, but he also boasted about it to other churches. He used the church in Thessalonica, the believers there, and their growth in, in uh, faith and in love as, as a, a tool, an example of God's power to grow believers in other churches. Now, 
all growth is is going to be um, somewhat time consuming. Growth takes time. Um, but Paul is so willing to boast in their growth in particular because their growth is happening in spite of persecution. And some struggle a little bit with Paul boasting about this church, but but Paul wrote that boasting is is wrong if it's done as a prideful exhibition before God. No one is supposed to boast before the Lord as if we have anything that we could say, look what I did, look what look what I've accomplished. But Paul also said, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, in 1 Corinthians 1.31. Paul also mentions in 1 Corinthians that it is more than proper to boast, or as Paul says, to rejoice in the Lord for his work in and through believers. To boast in that, to boast in the fact that God God uses us, that God grows us, that God helps us, that that we learn more, that we love more, that those are the things that we should should boast in, we we should be proud of, not because of ourselves, but because of God's Spirit working in our lives. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's confirmation of our salvation. And we should boast in the Lord in regards to those things. Paul and his co-workers themselves spoke with joy and pride in other churches about the perseverance and faith of the Thessalonians in spite of all their persecutions. And they did this to glorify God, not to glorify themselves as the ones who planted the church, and not to glorify the Thessalonians. It was all to glorify God. And in boasting about these believers, Paul challenges them to realize that their obedience is, is a witness that reaches beyond just their sphere of influence. That, that when we're faithful to God and we, and we grow in our knowledge and grow in our love, that that, that that shares the gospel, shares the power of God, shares the glory of God, not just with those around us, but that it can be used by God and other people in a far greater sphere than we may imagine. What's more, by calling them an example to other churches, it's another way of Paul stressing the importance for them to stay the course. Listen, you're, you're an example. People are looking up to you. They're looking to you as someone to, to follow after. So walk in the footsteps of Christ. Stay obedient. Continue to grow. Continue to learn. Continue to stay humble. And what Paul is boasting in was shown as right by their growing in faith and love even while enduring hostilities and suffering from the enemies of Christ. Now, it's also worth noting that these believers were not simply distressed emotionally. The word that Paul uses here doesn't mean that they were, they were kind of weepy or that they had some anxieties. What Paul is saying is that they, they were battered, that they were enduring great hostility. It's not that someone was saying, wear a mask. It's not that someone was saying, hey, you shouldn't hug someone at church. That's not anywhere near what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's talking about great hostility. He's talking about those who are losing their jobs, those who are losing family members, those who are losing lives even, because of their witness of Christ. These were not little trials. These were not trivial trials. 
The wording here implies that the persecutions or trials were numerous and that they were ongoing at the time that this letter was written. And these consistent trials that they were enduring, these these consistent things, did not hinder their growth. Their endurance stresses their faith in the gospel message and their faithfulness in God's love, which is why that's something that should really ping in the back of our minds. Do trials motivate us and push us to be more like Christ, to know him better and love him more? Or do they have a tendency to pushing us away from growth, away from being those who someone would boast in, in the Lord? Because Paul says that for these believers, the trials that they endured pushed them toward God, not away from it. And next week we will discuss this in a little bit more detail. But these believers were able to endure all that they did because they had a focus on the kingdom of God, that it was coming. This was, this was part of how they were able to endure these trials because they were picturing and thinking about the kingdom that God was going to bring. The Thessalonians endured this intense opposition because their hope was not in the present but in the future. In the, in the appearing of the second coming of Christ, which is what we're going to look at a little bit next week. And in times of extreme difficulty, our, our faith can get tested. The true faith stands up, not only in the public limelight, but also in the quiet places. Sometimes it's dangerous to have peace in the church because we can get complacent. And we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to grow to be more like Christ as individual believers and as churches that we're a part of for his own glory. I like to say that we should do everything we can to make sure that our local church is as beautiful of a bride as we can make her to be for the coming group. And we need to do that in quiet times, in peaceful times, and in times of persecution. We shouldn't turn on each other, especially over trivial things. We shouldn't shouldn't bicker with each other. We shouldn't backstab each other. We should love one another more and more as we see the day approaching. And in in spite of the intense persecution the believers in Thessalonica were, were dealing with, they were willing to trust in the gospel of Christ and rely upon the promises of God, especially in relation to his kingdom which enabled them to trust in the Lord no matter what. and enabled them to do, as Paul says in Romans, to to know that their present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in them. A true church is a gathering of believers who are ever growing in their faith, ever growing in their actions or love, and ever enduring life. I want to ask you to consider, how are you doing at helping your church grow in its maturity, in its beauty? Are you sharing the gospel faithfully with other people in your church? We know Jesus says that that, that he's allowed inside of the church for for, for weeds and for the wheat to grow together. There are some in in, in most likely each of our churches where there are some who have tricked themselves into thinking they're saved when they're actually not. We need to share the gospel even with each other as an encouragement, and as a challenge to those who may not be saved. 
And we need also to be encouraging and sharing the gospel with others outside of the faith so that the gathering of believers continues to grow to the glory of God. How are you doing with this? If true church is also ever growing in the faith, how are you doing at growing in the faith? At growing in your understanding of God, in your love of God, in your, in your knowledge of, of God's word. And how are you doing at helping others to grow in that? Are you encouraging people to stay consistent at coming to church to hear the word of God proclaimed to them? Are you, are you encouraging other people to stay consistent and faithful in reading their daily devotions? Are you encouraging other people and, and challenging other people through whatever means you have to stay faithful? To make sure that they as individual Christians and their church are categorized as, as a, a gathering of believers who are ever growing in the faith. And how about ever growing in, in actions or in love? How are you doing at, at loving more, walking more faithfully, doing more for the kingdom of God this year than last year? How are you doing at putting, putting uh, the, the old saying is putting wheels on your faith or legs to your faith? How are you doing at living out the gospel by loving God and trusting him and loving your neighbor and even loving your enemy? Our country is so divided. We've, we've, we've turned almost everyone into our enemy. And it's hard to love people, but doggone it, that's what Christians do. Jesus loved me when I was his enemy. And I'm called to love my enemies, those who hurt me, those who scar me, those who hate me. I'm called to love and pray for them. I'm called to serve them. And I'm especially called to serve those in the church, my brothers and sisters in the faith. How are you doing at serving those who are not with you and those who are part of your church family? And how are you doing at encouraging other believers to do the same? To step up and volunteer for a ministry or to, 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 to take the opportunity to go in and, and rake somebody's leaves when they fall or, or mow somebody's yard or, or take the opportunity to, to pay for someone's dinner or whatever it may be. Listen to someone's problems. How are, how are you doing at growing in your love? in light of your faith. And finally, a true church is a gathering of believers who are ever growing in their faith, ever growing in their actions or love, and ever enduring. How are you doing at enduring this time? I know that's a tricky question because we're living in a weird time right now. This year has been interesting, and frankly, I'm excited for it to get over with soon. But life is life. And even though this has been a difficult year, we haven't endured anything like what the Thessalonians were going through. We haven't endured true persecution. Are we being faithful in enduring life, in not losing hope, hope in the goodness of God, hope in the sovereignty of God, hope in, in the plans of God that, that are, that are to, to bless his children and not to, not to curse them or persecute them? For no reason. How are we doing at enduring life well? Not giving up. 
not quitting before the race is fully run. How are we doing? How are you doing as an individual? And how are you doing at, at helping to encourage other believers in your church to endure life well, to endure life with joy? It says that Jesus in Hebrews, Jesus endured the cross with joy. How are you doing at enduring life with joy? How are you doing it and not losing hope? Even when you may be really nervous about your health. Has your health become a God? Are you worshiping your health? Or has the, the, the anxiety you may have about your health helping you to, to fix your mind more upon eternity? To store up treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth. To know that the glory that will be revealed in us is far greater than anything here. That it's better to have Christ than the whole world. These little encouragements, I, I would challenge you to consider. And next week, we're going to dive a little bit more into the second coming of Christ. Um, but I hope that you would think about these four areas of uh, distinctives of an authentic church and consider how you, how, how they apply to you and how they apply to how you should be ministering to other believers in the church and to the lost. I hope this is encouraging to you. We'll see you next week. Bye.